Book the Sixth, Part Four of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Sixth, Part Four. On a windy afternoon in November, when more than two months had closed over the incidents previously recorded, a number of farmers were sitting in a room of the Lord Quantock Arms in Markton that was used for the weekly ordinary. It was a long, low apartment, formed by the union of two or three smaller rooms, with a bow window looking upon the street, and at the present moment was pervaded by a blue fog from tobacco pipes, and a temperature like that of a kiln. The body of farmers who still sat on there was greater than usual, owing to the cold air without, the tables having been cleared of dinner for some time, and their surface stamped with liquid circles by the feet of the numerous glasses. Besides the farmers, there were present several professional men of the town, who found it desirable to dine here on market days, for the opportunity it afforded them of increasing their practice among the agriculturalists, many of whom were men of large balances, even luxurious livers, who drove to market in elegant phaetons drawn by horses of supreme blood, bone and action, in a style never anticipated by their fathers when jogging thither in light carts, or afoot with a butter-basket on each arm. The buzz of groggy conversation was suddenly impinged on by the notes of a peal of bells from the tower hard by. Almost at the same instant the door of the room opened, and there entered the landlord of the little inn at Sleeping Green. Drawing his supply of cordials from this superior house to which he was subject, he came here at stated times like a prebendary to the cathedral of his diocesan, afterwards retaining to his own humbler audience the sentiments which he had learnt of this. But curiosity being awakened by the church bells, the usual position was for the moment reversed, and one of the farmers, saluting him by name, asked him the reason of their striking up at that time of day. "'Our missus out yonder,' replied the rural landlord, nodding sideways. "'She's coming home with our fancy man. They've been a-gay together this turk of a while in foreign parts. Here, mate, what with the wind and standing about, my blood's as low as water.' Bring us a thimbleful of that that isn't gin and not far from it. It is true, then, that she's become Mrs. Somerset, indifferently asked a farmer in broadcloth, tenant of an estate in quite another direction than hers, as he contemplated the grain of the table immediately surrounding the foot of his glass. True, of course it is, said Havel, who was also present, in the tone of one who, though sitting in this rubicund company, was not of it. I could have told you the truth of it any day these last five weeks. Among those who had lent an ear was Denim and Chinks, an old gnarled character who wore a white fustian coat and yellow leggings. The only man in the room who never dressed up in dark clothes for marketing. He now asked, Married abroad, was they? And how long will a wedding abroad stand good for in this country? As long as a wedding at home. Will it? Faith, I don't know. How should I? I thought it might be some new plan of folks for leasing women now they'd be so plentiful, so as to get rid of them, and the men be tired of them, and have spent all their money. He won't be able to spend her money, said the landlord of the Sleeping Green. Tis her very own persons, settled upon the heirs of her head forever. Oh, nation! And if I were the man, I shouldn't care for such a one-eyed benefit as that, said Derryman Jinx, turning away to listen to the talk on his other hand. Is that true? asked the gentleman farmer in broadcloth. It is sufficiently near the truth, said Havel, 
There is nothing at all unusual in the arrangement. It was only settled so to prevent any schemer making a beggar of her. If Somerset and she have any children, which probably they will, it will be theirs. And what can a man want more? Besides, there is a large portion of property left to her personal use, quite as much as they can want. Oddly enough, the curiosities and pictures of the parcel which belonged to the distances are not restricted from sale. They are her to do with what she likes. Old Pa didn't care for articles that reminded him so much of his predecessors. Hey, said Dairyman Jinx, turning back again, having decided that the conversation on his right hand was, after all, the more interesting. Well, why can't I hire a travelling chap to touch up the pictures to her own gaffers and gammers? Then they'd be worth some to her. Ah, here they are. I thought so, said Havel, who had been standing up at the window for the last few moments. The ringers were told to begin as soon as the train signalled. As he spoke, a carriage drew up to the hotel door, followed by another with the maid and luggage. The inmates crowded to the bow window, except Derriman Jinx, who had become absorbed in his own reflections. What be they stopping here for? asked one of the previous speakers. They're going to stay here tonight, said Havel. They've come quite unexpectedly, and the castle is in such a state of turmoil that there's not a single carpet down or room for them to use. We shall get two or three in order by next week. Two little people like them will be lost in the chambers of that a wandering place, satirised Derriman Jinx. They're bound to have a randy every fortnight to keep the moth out of the furniture. By this time, Somerset was handing out the wife of his bosom. And Derriman Jinx went on. That's no more Miss Power than was. Than my niece's daughter Keats here is Miss Power. In short, she's a different woman altogether. No mistake about the woman, said the landlord. It's her fur clothes that make her look so like a caterpillar on end. Well, she's not a bad bargain. As for Captain Destancy, he'll fret his gizzard green. He's a man she ought to have married, declared the farmer in broadcloth. As the world goes, she ought to have been Lady Destancy. She gave up her chapel going, and you might have thought she would have given up her first young man. But she stuck to him, though by all accounts he would soon have been interested in another party. Ah, tis woman's nature to be false except to a man, a man's nature to be true except to a woman, said the landlord of Sleeping Green. However, all's well that ends well, and I have something else to think of than new married couples. Saying which, the speaker moved off, and the others returned to their seats, the young pair who had been their theme vanishing through the hotel into some private paradise to rest and dine. By this time their arrival had become known, and a crowd soon gathered outside, acquiring audacity with continuance there. Raising a hurrah, the group would not leave till Somerset had showed himself on the balcony above, and then declined to go away till Paula also had appeared. When, remarking that her husband seemed a quiet young man enough, and would make a very good borough member when the present one misbehaved himself, the assemblage good-humouredly dispersed. Among those whose ears had been reached by the hurrahs of these idlers was a man in silence and solitude far out of the town. He was leaning over a gate that divided two meads in a watery level between Stancy Castle and Markton. He turned his head for a few seconds, then continued his contemplative gaze towards the towers of the castle, visible over the trees as far as was possible in the leaden gloom of the November eve. The military form of the solitary lounger was recognisable as that of Sir William de Stancy, 
notwithstanding the falling light, and his attitude of so resting his elbows on the gate that his hands had closed the greater part of his face. The scene was inexpressibly cheerless. No other human creature was apparent, and the only sounds audible above the wind were those of the trickling streams which distributed the water over the meadow. A heron had been standing in one of these rivulets about twenty yards from the officer, and they vied with each other in stillness, till the bird suddenly rose and flew off to the plantation in which it was his custom to pass the night with others of his tribe. Astancy saw the heron rise, and seemed to imagine the creature's departure without a supper to be owing to the increasing darkness. But in another minute he became conscious that the heron had been disturbed by sounds too distant to reach his own ears at the time. They were nearer now, and there came along under the hedge a young man, known to Destancy exceedingly well. Ah, he said listlessly, you ventured back. Yes, Captain. Why do you walk out here? The bells began ringing because she and he were expected, and my thoughts naturally dragged me this way. Thank heaven the battery leaves Markton in a few days, and then the precious place will know me no more. I've heard of it. Turning to where the dim lines of the castle rose, he continued, Well, there it stands. And I am not in it. They are not in it yet, either. They soon will be. Well, what tune is it that you are humming, Captain? All is lost now, replied the Captain grimly. Oh, no, you've got me, and I am a treasure to any man. I have another match in my eye for you, and shall get you well settled yet if you keep yourself respectable. So, thank God, and take courage. Ah, oh, Will, you are a flippant young fool, wise in your own conceit, I said to my sorrow. "'Twas your dishonesty spoiled all. That lady would have been my wife by fair dealing. Time was all I required. But base attacks on a man's character never deserved to win. And if I had once been certain that you had made them, my course would have been very different, both towards you and others.' Why shall I talk to you about this? If I cared an atom what becomes of you, I would take you in hand severely enough. Not caring, I leave you alone to go to the devil your own way. Thank you kindly, Captain. Well, since you have spoken plainly, I will do the same. We distancies are a worn-out old party. That's the long and the short of it. We represent conditions of life that have had their day, especially me. Our one remaining chance was an alliance with new aristocrats, and we failed. We are past and done for. Our line has had five hundred years of glory, and we ought to be content. Enfant, les renards se trouvent chez le pelletier. Speak for yourself, young consequence, and leave the destinies of old families to respectable philosophers. This fiasco is the direct result of evil conduct and of nothing else at all. I have managed badly. I countenance you too far. When I saw your impish tendencies, I should have forsworn the alliance. Don't sting me, Captain. What I've told you is true. As for my conduct, cat will after kind, you know. You should have held your tongue on the wedding morning, and have let me take my chance. Is that all I get for saving you from jail? Gad, I alone am the sufferer, and I feel I am alone the fool. Come off with you. I never want to see you any more. Part we will, then, till we meet again. It will be a light night hereabouts, I think, this evening. A very dark one for me. 
Nevertheless, I think it will be a light night. Au revoir. Pierre went his way, and after a while de Stancy went his. Both were soon lost in the shades. End of Book the Sixth, Part Four.